I will speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mother Sarah is doing her best to get me out of having to preach on this particular parable this morning. You, you didn't catch up on the digging, right, in that parable. At the earlier service, she started reading next week's parable, <laughs> which she is preaching on, by the way. I would have happily traded her for next week's parable over this one. Believe me. Thank you, Mother Sarah, for that. Well, anyway, without a doubt, there are difficult passages to read and understand in the Gospels. There are passages that make us uncomfortable as was the passage we heard just a few weeks ago when Jesus seemed to be saying that those who do not hate their family or life itself cannot be his followers. There are passages that can make us squirm a bit as when Jesus starts talking a lot about sin or about the end of the age. There are even passages that make us question Jesus' own compassion as when he delays going to the sickbed of his good friend Lazarus for no other reason than to seemingly allow Lazarus to die so that he might miraculously raise Lazarus back to life. Even Jesus had trouble and wept over that one. Yes, there are all those difficult passages that come to us from the Gospels. And then there are the strange, confusing verses we have just read this morning. There is certainly a reason why this morning's parable is one that is not often quoted or referenced to out there in the world, such as the one we hear often talked about, the parable of the Good Samaritan. There are definitely no churches or outreach organizations that have been named after today's parable. There are no church of the dishonest steward, nor is there any Christian center for making friends by using dishonest wealth. Honestly, in this morning's parable, it is just plain difficult for any of us to even understand what Jesus might be talking about. Is Jesus really making a scheming, greedy business manager the hero of his parable? And does Jesus actually mean that, as he seems to be saying, people like that dishonest manager know more about how to act in the world today than the children of light, whoever they might be? I don't know about you, but if you read this parable or just heard it read and did not scratch your head a little bit, then you are a much better Bible scholar than me. And honestly, if we were to delve into biblical scholarship for the last 1,000 years around this particular parable from Luke's gospel, we would discover that some of the greatest saints and scholars of all time have themselves struggled to understand it. In fact, there are multiple variations given of Jesus' possible meanings of this parable and just about any commentary of Luke we dive into. There are even a few modern scholars out there who are quite convinced that the writer of Luke's gospel had no idea himself as to what Jesus might have been talking about, and that's why the writer seems to tack on a few somewhat unrelated quotes by Jesus to make sense of it all in verses 10 through 13 here in chapter 16. It appears in those verses as if Jesus is trying to explain this parable by relating it to the struggle between the love of God and the love of money. But really, before we think about some of the other understandings this parable might lay out for us, perhaps we should take a few minutes to look at it one more time. This morning in Luke's Gospel, we meet the property manager of a very wealthy landowner, a steward, who holds a position that I think might roughly be equivalent today 
to the chief operating officer of a large, thriving corporation. As Jesus begins his parable, it seems some kind of audit by the wealthy owner of the company has taken place and revealed that his manager has been squandering the resources of the estate, raising interest levels on others for his own personal gain and robbing the company of its much-earned profits. And for this, the manager is being called in to explain himself before the owner, and he knows he will be fired. Realizing that no defense is possible for his terrible behavior and aware that he might have to face digging, as Mother Sarah found out, or even worse, becoming a homeless beggar, the manager quickly devises what he thinks is a pretty crafty plan. Jesus tells us that the manager decides he can reduce the debt owned to the company by others in lesser stations than himself, hoping that by doing this, he will quickly change opinions of those he has overseen for so many years and curry favors that they might one day repay. He believes that those he is relieving and helping by the reworking of their bills might at least feel some compassion for him and invite him into their homes and help him if he goes out on the streets. So the manager calls in the debtors one by one and immediately he asks them to rewrite their own bills, cutting their debts by 50% and 20% of what they owe to the corporation. Now, I admit this might be a somewhat good plan under the circumstances for the manager, but one can only guess how this might make it a little worse on him when the wealthy landowner finds out his latest trick and what he has done. But this, of course, is where Jesus throws his listeners what I like to refer to as the parabolic curveball. For this morning, Jesus ends the story with a simple yet confusing conclusion. Jesus says that rather than being even more angry than he was before with the dishonest manager, Instead, as the gospel says, his master commended him because he had acted shrewdly. Now, the first hearers of this parable, I'm quite certain, would have found it just as shocking and strange as we might this morning. And as I've already mentioned, the chain of sayings on wealth and money that follow the parable in verses 10 through 13 of Luke 16 scarcely shine any light, I think, on what the parable actually might mean. In those later verses, Jesus first seems to carry on praising the shrewdness of the children of this world, telling his disciples they should make friends with dishonest wealth. But then he seems to quickly reverse direction, proclaiming that, as I just said to the kids, whoever is faithful in even a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. What can Jesus really mean by all of this today? Certainly he isn't describing the manager in the parable in the second verse because, in the second set of verses, because the manager isn't faithful or trustworthy at all and is dishonest in nearly everything right down to the scheme to get himself out of trouble. And when Jesus finishes this morning saying by proclaiming that no slave can serve two masters, he also couldn't have been referring to that manager because it seems that serving two masters is the only thing this particular guy does well. 
serving his own selfish, greedy needs as well as somehow winning commendation from the wealthy landowner he serves through his deceitful actions. Maybe those biblical scholars were right all along. Maybe Luke did just attach the final verses this morning to the parable of the dishonest manager to attempt to explain something the writer themselves could not figure out or understand. But what if the parable has less to do with money in the first place and more to do with presenting us with an alternative, more spiritual understanding of the world that we live in through the view of its creator rather than the world we live in that has fallen and is in the state of our current life. Too often overlooked is the similarity, I think, between the parable of the dishonest manager and the parable we just skipped over in Luke's gospel. The beloved parable I mentioned last week as well, the parable of the prodigal son. For both of these parables portray a person facing a life-threatening situation because they have squandered resources that have been given to them to manage. In the story of the prodigal son, the son has squandered and wasted his father's wealth given to him as an early inheritance. And of course, in this morning's parable, the parable that immediately follows the, parable, the prodigal son, it is the manager who has squandered the wealth of his master's estate, which was entrusted to him. When this squandering catches up with both characters in the Gospel of Luke, each one of them realizes what surely awaits their poor and selfish decisions. And yet, even in their moment of sad realization, they manage to come up with one way forward that they might actually be able to get through it. In each case, the hoped for change will end up being just enough, they hope, to give them a place of refuge, just enough to save them from certain and utter destruction. Yet, what shocking event actually happens in both of Jesus' parables? Well, not only does the gamble of both the prodigal son and the dishonest manager save them from destruction, but their being willing to even attempt to win some leniency brings them total and complete pardon and forgiveness from those in power over them. The father of the prodigal son, as we know, throws a party to welcome back his son, while the master of the dishonest manager commends him for his shrewdness and cleverness to save himself and find refuge in a terrible time. So what possibly could Jesus be telling us this parable to impact you and me this morning? In the parable of the dishonest manager, I'm rather convinced that Jesus is talking less about our dealings with money, even though that's absolutely important in how we live a humble spiritual life. But Jesus is talking more, I believe, about God's great abundance of love and grace. In the world as it is lived out today, the prodigal son, we all know, should be home slopping the hogs and working off his debt to his father as a hired hand and not as a beloved son. And in the world as it is lived out today, the dishonest manager should get what he has coming. He should lose his job and go to work digging holes or begging. In the world's view of justice, that's what makes logical sense in our human minds. But of course, the God Jesus has come to announce to us, thankfully for each and every one of us who have struggled and failed time and time again in our own lives 
in our own moments of despair, the God we believe in is not a God of logical justice. Instead, the God Jesus is comparing to the master in today's parable is a God of illogical love who does not exact punishment when we attempt to reduce the debts of others, who does not cast us out into utter darkness when we honestly turn and come back to him, even in defeat and failure, and who does not forget about us even when we feel like we have been lost forever. The God of Jesus is the God of grace, the God of forgiveness, the God of reconciliation, and certainly the God of resurrection. And the kingdom of God, which Jesus is establishing and the church continues to work on, is not a kingdom of this world. It is a kingdom that provides eternal life beyond this one and points us to the heavenly realm. As much as we all want to condemn that manager in this morning's parable, have we all not been guilty of squandering some resource placed in our own hands by God? Resources perhaps of time, as well as resources of earthly wealth. I have to be the first one to admit that I have been guilty of this. Just go ahead and ask my wife how many guitars I have hidden under beds or in closets throughout our house. And have we not all been guilty of schemes to somehow get both and rather than choosing what's right over what's wrong? We need to ask ourselves a very serious question this morning. Where would we be if the God we believed in was not a God who was illogical when it came to love and grace? Thanks be to God that God loves us so much that one little step we take in God's direction will cause God to rush towards us to save us and to bring us home. Thanks be to God.